Hey, if you've got a Bible with you today, either uh, with an old-timey Bible with a cover on it and pages or electronic on a phone or some other kind of device, go ahead and open up and find Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 today. We started a, a, a series of messages on Philippians back in October, and we did chapter 1 in October, chapter 2 in November. Then we took a break during Christmas because we wanted to talk specifically about the birth of Jesus and how that was important, and so we did that. And so now, starting 2015, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 for most of the month of January and then get into chapter 4 in February. So go ahead and find Philippians 3. And uh, if this is your first Sunday here or if it's just been a while and you've forgotten everything that we knew about Philippians, let me remind you of a couple things. This is a letter written from a guy named Paul who was, at the time this letter was written, he was the Billy Graham of his day. He was the A number one greatest Christian on the face of the planet. Everyone looked up to what Paul had to say, and he was extremely wise, and and most of the New Testament that we read in the Bible was written by him, so he had this amazing connection with the Spirit of God where where God was telling him things that the new church needed to hear, And, and it was written by Paul while Paul was in prison, and Paul had been thrown in prison for doing exactly what I'm doing here today, for doing exactly what Drew Hines is doing at Washington Baptist Church right down the street, for what Scott McAllister is doing at Springwell today and and people all over the country, he was put in prison for standing up before people and telling them about the love of Jesus Christ. And so at that time, the Roman government saw that as a threat, and they put him in prison because of that. And so he's in a prison cell writing this letter that we read to a church in a place called Philippi. The people in Philippi were called Philippians, so that's why we call this book of the Bible or this letter, we call it the book of Philippians. And so as we've read through earlier, and, and some of you might remember, you, it's, it's very obvious as we read through Philippians that this was a church that, first of all, Paul started this church. So he's the founding pastor of this church, but he started it, he got it going, he trained leaders, and then he moved on to other places to start other churches. And it's a church that he has great fondness for, and we can see that in the tone of the, the things that he writes. And it's also a church that, that is, seems to be, it's not a perfect church, but it seems to be doing its best to follow the will of Jesus. And unlike some of Paul's writings, there's a lot of, of letters that Paul writes where he immediately, he's having to correct problems and y'all are doing this wrong and how stupid can you be and those kinds of things. Philippians doesn't have a lot of that. It's more of a letter of encouragement to this church that's really on the right path trying to do things the right way. So as we look at, at uh, Philippians 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. That's kind of where we are, so you'll understand where we are in the, the series here. And uh, let me start with verse 1 of chapter 3 and read these first 11 verses. Paul writes this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss 
for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. When I was uh, in the 10th grade, I played on a basketball team that was a, a, a recreation league team there in, in Irmo where I, where I grew up. And uh, I, as a 15-year-old boy, now I, I'm about to make a generalized statement. I know this is not always true, but... But it seems to me that most of the time in life, 15-year-old girls don't think they're good enough at the stuff they're good enough at, and 15-year-old boys think they're a lot better at the things that they're really pretty good at. That, that's, that's just, that's not, I know that's not always true. I know there's some insecure boys out there, but it just seems like something happens when testosterone kicks in into a teenage boy. He thinks he's just pretty awesome and he can do everything. And when estrogen kicks in on a teenage girl, she starts thinking she's ugly and fat and nobody loves her. And so, now I know that's not always true, but, but I was a 15-year-old boy. I thought I was a lot better at stuff than I really was. And some people would probably accuse me of still having that problem today. But, but then I was playing basketball on this team, and I thought that I was a pretty good basketball player. I really did. Now, I, it didn't matter that I had not made the school team where the really good basketball players were. I still thought I was pretty good. And so I got on this team in the 10th grade, and we started having practices. There was a guy on my team named Jeff. And immediately, it was obvious that Jeff was the best player on that team. And in fact, the longer I practiced and the longer I played on that team, I couldn't understand why he wasn't on the high school team. This guy, he was awesome. Now, he was, in fact, if you looked at both of us from behind at that time, you probably wouldn't have been able to tell us apart. He was almost exactly my same size. He was skinny like I was at that time. He had a head full of dark hair like I did then and still do now. Thank you very much. A little gray on the sides. But, but anyway, he, but he was... On the basketball court, he was very different than me. He always knew the right pass to make. He was our point guard. He, he only shot when he knew he could make the shot, and he rarely missed when he shot. Never missed a free throw that I can remember. I'm sure he did at some point, but I don't ever remember missing a free throw. He was an amazing defender. He was just an amazing basketball player. And at that time in my life, maybe for the first time ever, I looked at him, and I looked at me, and I realized something for the first time. I realized that my best isn't good enough. That was the first time I had realized that, that my best isn't good enough. And when we read right here in in, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, one of the things that Paul is telling us here, and he wants us to understand, is just like my basketball skills weren't good enough. I wasn't good enough to be the best on the team, and I certainly wasn't good enough to be the best on the high school team because Jeff didn't even make the high school team, and he was really, really good. And Paul is telling us here that when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to morality, when it comes to ethics, when it comes to trying to be what the Bible calls righteous, when it comes to trying to be righteous, our best isn't good enough. 
It never will be good enough. We'll never be good enough to be righteous on our own. Now, I want to I stop here just for a second. Now, I know there's some of you, I'm not going to look at who it is, but, but I, I sit up here every week and I know which ones of you fall asleep, all right? That's okay. I understand you stayed up late and some of you have got narcolepsy or whatever, just hasn't been diagnosed. That's a no problem. But if you're that person, I want you to, instead of sitting back, I want you to sit up on the edge of your seat right now. I want you to slap yourself in the face. I want you to do whatever it takes not to fall asleep right now because if that's the last thing you hear me say today, that my best isn't good enough, it'll never be good enough, we can never be good enough, if that's the last thing you hear, then you're going to walk away with the wrong message today. And that's not the end of the message. So everybody, are we all on the same page? Are we all alert? Are we all awake? This is 2015. We're not tired yet. So let, let's jump on it together. All right? So pay attention. Now here's the first thing that you need to understand about this passage of Scripture. This is a very, and a lot of Paul's letters are like this, this is a very Jewish passage of Scripture. Now, and because of that, because most of us in here, or I would probably dare to say 100% of us in here are not Jewish by birth. We weren't raised in the home of a Jewish mother and father. We weren't raised with their traditions. We didn't uh, 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 celebrate Hanukkah. We didn't celebrate Yom Kippur. We didn't do any of those things. And so when we read passages of Scripture like this one, which is so Jewish in its nature, it can be confusing to us. And the first thing off the bat that makes it confusing and that this should be the thing that should keep those of you who normally fall asleep alert is that Paul talks a lot in here about circumcision. Now, in our society today, let me just stop and say this. If you got kids in here that are supposed to be in Freedom Kids, it's not my fault if you got to go home this afternoon and explain circumcision to them, all right? They're supposed to be in there if they're not sixth grade. Anyway, all right, let me go ahead. Now, in our society today, circumcision is an individual choice that parents make, and it has nothing to do with spirituality. It has nothing to do with the church. It has nothing to do with religion. It's a, pa- a choice that parents of sons make based on whatever their preference is. That's the choice that, that we make today. In that time, in the time that Paul was writing this and before, it was an extremely controversial religious decision that had to be made. And here's why. You go all the way back to the Old Testament. Now, Paul is writing this in the time of the New Testament. So you go back a couple thousand years before to the Old Testament. There was a man named Abraham. And God tells Abraham that now the Jews, which is Abraham was one of those, he says, now you will be my people and I will be your God. That's what he told him. And that was establishing what we call a covenant. And God called it a covenant. So he's saying, we're going to come to an agreement here, Abraham. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to obey me. And that was the beginning of this covenant that God had established between himself and the Jewish people, which later became the nation of Israel. And so he establishes this covenant. And then he says, now that I've established this covenant, there's going to be something I'm going to tell you to do, which is going to be a physical reminder of the covenant that I've established with you. And he tells them that now all Jewish males need to be circumcised. And this needs to happen shortly after they're born. 
And so that was the covenant that God established, and this was the physical reminder of that covenant. Now, here's, here's what happened. Now, fast forward all the way to the New Testament, okay? Jesus has come, right? He died on the cross. He rose again. This new religion has, has sprung up that Jesus started, which was just beginning to be called Christianity. And so you have these people that, that a lot of them were raised Jewish, so they were already following the laws. They were already circumcised. They were already following all the dietary laws. They were following all the laws. And now they've given their lives to Jesus and they're following Jesus. And so a lot of them, they were still following the Jewish laws, but they're following Jesus. But then at the same time, you had all these people over here that they called at that time Gentiles, which meant people who weren't Jewish. And they were now beginning to come to faith in Jesus as well. They had heard about Jesus. They had heard about the miracles. They, had, they, they knew people who had witnessed the resurrection. And so there's just this amazing growth going on in the church. And you've got people who never were raised Jewish. And now they're coming to faith. Now, here's what started happening. They started coming to the church. And there were people in the church who had been raised Jewish that were saying, you've got to... We're glad you came to know Jesus. That's awesome. But if you want to be a part of this group, you've got to start following all the Jewish laws. You've got to start following all of them. Now, imagine if you're a Gentile man and you've just come to faith in Jesus and you visit the church. They're meeting in a high school on a Sunday morning. And you've already accepted Jesus and you like what's going on there. You like the message. You, the people are friendly. It looks like a great place to be. And this, yeah, this, I want this to be a church. Hey, and you ask somebody, hey, could you tell me, you know, what I need to do to be a part of this church? Yeah, uh, just take this home and read it. It's okay. So you get home with your wife and you're like, oh, okay, this says to be a part of the church. I've got to obey all the Jewish laws. Well, let's see what those are. Well, I can't eat ham anymore. Well, that'll be, that's a little disappointing. Um, but I, I think I can live with that. I have to give a tenth of everything that I own. Ooh, that's, that's a little steep, but um, I think we can. I think we can do that. Uh, I need to take a knife and cut off part of what? I mean, could you imagine? And you know, you're immediately going to look at your wife and say, "Hey, let's visit the pagan church down the street because I bet that they're not cutting anything off over there." And so you had this situation where you had people come into faith who were not raised Jewish, and now they're walking in and they're saying, you've got to do this, um, this unbelievably, you know, just this big deal. And so all of a sudden there started to be arguments and everything. And so if you, if you go back, and, and this is on your homework, so you can write this down in your notes and read this this afternoon on your own. If you go all the way back to Acts 15, there was a group of people that they called the Jerusalem Council. And in Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council got together, and these were the leaders of the church. So it was the disciples, and it was other folks who had, who had established themselves as leaders of the church. And they came together, and they said, we've got to solve this problem. And what they decided was, they said, here's the deal. We don't want to do anything to keep Gentiles from coming to faith in Jesus. And so what we're going to say is, just tell them to avoid sexual immorality, and, and they don't have to worry about being circumcised, and they can still follow Jesus. They don't have to. If they weren't raised Jewish, they don't have to follow every little detail of the Jewish law. Now, so that's it. The, 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 
the leadership of the church made a decision, so that's put to bed. We don't have to worry about that anymore, right? Isn't that the way churches work? Don't churches work where the leadership of the church makes a decision and everybody's like, yes, we agree with the leadership of the church. We're going to do what they want to do, and we're not going to argue about this anymore. How many of you have been in church long enough to know that it doesn't work like that? And it was no different back then. The leadership of the church, the Jerusalem Council, they made this decision, but there were still people who thought, well, that, that's not the way. That's not, my granddaddy was circumcised, dadgummit, and you're going to have to be circumcised too. You know, that's, that's, the way, that's the way people, the attitude that they had. And so what happened was, instead of just accepting this as the, the teaching of the church and we're going to get in line behind this, what did those people start doing? Well, they started having their own Bible studies and they started sending emails to each other and they started posting things on Facebook, you know, like, well, real believers are circumcised and that kind of stuff. And so all of a sudden you had people who this decision's been made and you've got all these Gentiles coming to faith, coming to Jesus, and you've got this group who now is harassing them and telling them they're not true followers of Jesus. And Paul, he couldn't stand those people. And in fact, if you read the book of Galatians, he really goes off on those folks. But he calls this group of people, and he doesn't use the term here, but he calls this group of people the Judaizers. That was the word that Paul gave them. And it was meant believers in Jesus who still think that everyone has to follow the Jewish customs. And so when we read this passage of Scripture, there's all this circumcision talk and stuff, and it can be kind of confusing us, but you need to understand that's what's going on at the time. That was the, that was the, the culture that they were living in. And so when we read in verse 2 and 3, Paul there, when he's telling these people to look out for folks, he's talking about the Judaizers. He's talking about the people who are saying, yeah, you can be a follower of Jesus, but you've also got to follow all these Jewish laws. And, he, and he's pretty harsh on them. Look what he calls them in verse 2. He says, look out for the dogs. Now, you know, even today we don't call someone a dog. And that was always the big thing when I was in middle school. Man, she's a dog. That was, that was always bad. And we don't even do that today. But let me tell you why that was such a big deal then is the, that at that time, the Jews, that was what the Jews called the uncircumcised Gentiles. That's what they referred to them as. They're just a bunch of dogs. And so Paul turns it around and he says, no, you people that have been circumcised that are telling these other people they should be circumcised, you're the dogs. So he's, he's being pretty, pretty bold here. So he says, look out for the dogs. And then he says, look out for the evildoers, <clears throat> which is amazing to me because these were people who were following the law. They were being better than most folks. But Paul said, listen, if you're trying to force this on someone else, you're an evildoer. And then he says, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So what he's saying is your circumcision isn't real circumcision. You've just done something to try to impress people, to try to make yourself righteous, and it's just like you've just mutilated yourself. It didn't mean what it was supposed to mean. And so, see, what happened was is you had these Judaizers, and what they were doing is they were trusting in their good works to make them right with God. And it's the same thing that can happen to us. See, if we're not careful... We can begin to think that there's certain things that we do and that's what makes us righteous. That's what makes us in right standing with God. If I do this list of things, and it's convenient because we'll leave other things off of the list. But we'll hit on the things that really are offensive to us. As long as I do those things, then I'm right with God. I'm not going to worry about gluttony right now because it's the Christmas season. I'll throw that in later after I've lost a few pounds, right? And so that's, that's what happened then. They, they were talking about that they thought they could, they could make themselves righteous. But what Paul understood 
And what, he, what we read very clearly in here is he's saying, listen, your best, my best, will never be good enough. And then I love in verses 4 through 6 because Paul, all of a sudden he says, listen, if you think your best is good enough, let me tell you how awesome I am. And it reminds me, this, these verses reminds me, and some of you will understand this, and, and those of you that don't, ask your kids. They'll, they'll explain it to you. But it reminds me of this is like Paul in a rap battle, you know. He's got a mic. There's another dude with a mic, and there's a DJ. He's dropping a beat, and all of a sudden Paul just starts going off, you know, hey, let me speak on this, and he starts talking about how awesome he is, like, you know, Eminem and 8 Mile or something like that. And so in, he says in verses 4, he says, although I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, and then he says, all right, I'm about to go off on y'all get ready. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5, circumcise on the eighth day, fool. He doesn't say fool after it, but that's what I kind of, and what, and the reason that was such a big deal is because in Leviticus, it says in the law, it says that your child should be circumcised when? Eight days after he's born. And so Paul's saying, listen, I'm not only circumcised, I was circumcised at the right time. Some of y'all, I know for a fact, y'all were circumcised on day nine. You were not near as holy as I am. And then after he says circumcised on the eighth day, he says, of the people of Israel. So what he's saying there is, he said, listen, I was born into this. I can, I, I know exactly who I am. I didn't convert. I didn't move in here from somewhere else. I'm a, I'm an Israelite by birth. My daddy was an Israelite. My granddaddy was an Israelite. I can trace it all the way back. And then he even does trace it because he says next after that, he says, of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I know which tribe I'm from. There was only 12 of them. And I can tell you exactly which one that I'm from. I can trace it all the way back to Benjamin. And then I can even go further back than that. And then after that, he says, after uh, circumcised the eighth day, the people tribe of a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, Hebrew of Hebrews, this is what that means. Paul was born and was from a place called Tarsus. Now, Tarsus, it, the people there spoke Greek, but Paul didn't speak Greek. Now, he knew Greek, but Paul chose to speak in Aramaic, which was the, the language that time the Hebrews were using. So he's like, listen, I'm even more Jewish than some of you. Some of you Jews are speaking Greek. I speak Hebrew. I mean, I speak, I speak Aramaic. I'm the real deal. Even what I say sounds Jewish. And then he says, as to the law, a Pharisee. Now, there were different groups of people back then who were real intent on keeping the law, and the Pharisees were the most law-keeping group of all, and Paul was a Pharisee, and he was one of the greatest Pharisees that ever lived. And so he's saying, listen, if you're thinking how holy you can be, I'm telling you, I'm more holy than you because of all these things. And then he gets to verse 6, and he says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He said, this is how much I believed in the law. I believed in the law so much that other people who weren't keeping the law, I was having them thrown into prison. Now, how many of you have done that? And then he goes on from there and he says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he just finishes off and says, listen, no one has done a better job of keeping the law than me. My parents made sure that I kept it. I picked it up. I was passionate about it. I was a zealot. I was going crazy about keeping the law, and that's exactly what I did. And so Paul is saying there, if anyone was ever good enough to be righteous by just keeping the law, it was him. But then look what he says in verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Count them 
as rubbish. Paul's saying all that good stuff that I did, all the keeping of the law, being circumcised on the right day, all of that stuff, when I compare it to Jesus, when I compare it to the life Jesus lived, when I compare it to the fact that I'm supposed to know Jesus, all of that stuff is like garbage. Now that had to have been a shocking thing for people who were Judaizers to read because they were thinking, if I just follow these laws, then God's going to look at me and say, hey, you're good. And Paul's saying, no, that's a bunch of garbage if you're just thinking that you can do it by yourself. See, what happened, you can write this down in your notes to read this afternoon as well. There's more homework for you. If you go back to Acts chapter 9, see, Paul was, Paul was on the road to persecute the church. He was, he was the Pharisee that was keeping all the laws. He was doing what he thought he was supposed to do. And while he was on the road to persecute the church, Jesus intervened in his life in a literal way. And after that, for the first time ever, Paul realized what he's teaching us here, Paul realized that his best wasn't good enough because he saw for the first time who Jesus was. He saw the plan that Jesus had for his life, and he knew that he could not continue to walk the same road he was walking and be declared righteous. See, what, what happens a lot of times to us and what happened to people back then as well is we compare ourselves to the wrong people. We, 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 we don't have the right standard for ourselves. On that basketball team that I played on, I told you about Jeff, who was, who was uh, just amazingly awesome player. There was another team player on the team who I was better than. Now, there weren't a lot of players on that team that I was better than, but this guy, I was better than him. He didn't have any business being on the team, just personally between me and you. That's why I'm not saying his name out loud. And, uh, but he, he just was terrible. Now, if I had played against him every day and only him, you know what I would have thought about myself? I'm awesome. I'm, I'm just the most, I'm just dominating this guy. He is terrible. He can't even shoot. He is the worst ever. I would think I was awesome. Why? Because I'd be comparing myself to him. But what was the standard, at least on our basketball team? The standard was Jeff, and compared to him, I wasn't even anywhere close to being good enough, and I knew I would never be good enough. And see, what happens is we live this life and we want to compare how holy we are, how righteous we are by looking around at everybody else. And you might look around at the people you work with. You might look around at the people in your family and probably definitely the people in your family. Some of you just had Christmas and you're like, man, I cannot believe I came from those people. And, uh, and, and you might look around even at the people in your church and you might look around and say, man, I'm a lot better than all these people. I'm a lot more committed than them. I read the Bible more than anybody I work with. I give more to my church than anybody in my family. And we start comparing ourselves to these other people, and we begin to think that we're pretty good. But who are we supposed to compare ourselves to? What is the standard? The standard is Jesus. And Paul said that when he compared all the stuff that he had done, all the good works he had done. And when he compared that to Jesus, he realized that everything he had done, it would never add up. It would never be good enough. In fact, all the stuff that he was done was like a big pile of garbage. It was rubbish in comparison to Jesus. 
So our standard is Jesus, and we all need to be righteous in order to have an everlasting relationship with God. So what do we do? Well, look at verse 8 and 9. Paul tells us, says this, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now here's the thing. If you're taking notes, I want you to be sure that you write this down. If you're not taking notes, I want you to just to memorize this phrase and burn it into your brain because I think it can change the way we live. And here's what I want you to understand. Righteousness is given, not achieved. Righteousness is given, not achieved. Verse 9 there, Paul says, To be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But where does it come from? But that which comes through faith in Christ. The only way, the only way that we can ever be good enough in the eyes of God, we can't earn it, our best try will never get us there. The only way we can ever be good enough in the eyes of God is for us to trust in the blood of Jesus on the cross, trust in the power of the resurrection, and trust that Jesus will make us righteous. He will give us, righteous, give us righteousness that we can never, ever achieve on our own. See, the term righteousness that Paul uses over and over in this letter, during that time, it was actually a legal term. And it was a term that a judge would use. Let's say you're accused of uh, you know, cooking meth in the back of your, your house or whatever. By the way, if you're doing that, stop right now and turn yourself in to the authorities. Come down here. Jesus will forgive you, but I think the city of Greer will have a different view on you know, how forgiven they'll be. But either way. But anyway, let's say you're accused of doing something terrible like that in those days. And, and you go before a judge and they begin to bring evidence out. And the judge listens to the evidence and he listens to you talk and he listens to other people talk. And at the end, he makes a decision and he looks at you and he says... I don't think you did it. So what he would do is he would look at the person who was accused and the judge would say, you are declared righteous. That was the term he would use. You are declared righteous. Now, what that meant was that in, when, in that case, there was nothing in you that was to be found that was wrong in the case that was brought against you. Now, did that mean that that person was perfect? I mean, when the judge declared them righteous, no, they probably were still messed up in a lot of other areas of their life. They, they, weren't, they were far from perfect. But in the case that was being held right then, the judge said, you're righteous. Now, I want you to understand something today, that we have a judge, and he's not the judge down here on, you know, at, at Greer or, or the judge at Greenville County, and those judges are, are real too, but our ultimate judge is God. And God is the one who will declare us righteous or unrighteous. And whether he declares us righteous or unrighteous, that will determine whether we can spend eternity in heaven or spend eternity in hell. And it, that's, that's what the, the, the Scripture teaches from start to finish. And to, in order to be declared righteous, if God looks at us and we're not perfect and we haven't fooled him, he knows all the stuff. He knows what you looked at on the Internet last week. He knows what you've done, about to do on your taxes coming up. He knows all that stuff. 
And when God looks at us, if we have accepted Jesus and our faith is in him and we're not and we're not saying to God, "Hey, I should be brought into to to heaven because I've set up at church every week and and I gave a lot of money and I even took notes when when Cliff spoke and I even came to church when it was raining." He won't look at us and say, "Okay, come on in." But if he looks at us and we say, "I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner, but I'm trusting in the one who was perfect." I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm trusting in his cross. I'm trusting in his resurrection. God will look at us and he will say, I declare you righteous. And you can come in. Because he's the judge. And his word is final. In those days when the judge declared you righteous, you couldn't go back to court again later. It was You were declared righteous, that was it. And in our case, when God declares us righteous, then we're his. And nobody can take us away. From that. We can never lose that. And so Paul is being very clear in here when he says in verse 9, he says, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. He's talking about being found in Jesus Christ. We don't deserve it, but righteousness is given to us. And Paul wants us to know that when we talk about coming to know Jesus, when we talk about being declared righteousness, it's not righteousness that that, that comes from the law. It's righteousness that comes from grace. And it's not grace plus anything else. It's not grace plus circumcision. Grace plus good deeds. Grace plus giving money. It's not grace plus anything. It's only grace where we can be declared righteous. See, we are going to do good deeds, though, because good deeds are done as a result of being declared righteous not in order to gain righteousness. And let me say that again because you need to hear that. Good deeds are done as a result of being declared righteous, not in order to gain righteousness. When I gave my check this morning to the people who were getting ready to take it up, gave my money for this week, when I worked on this message this week, when, when those of you got here early today to set up, you weren't We weren't doing those things in order to impress God so that he would think we're righteous. No, we did that because we've already been declared righteous and we're so thankful for that. We're so overwhelmed by that that it's our natural inclination to want to do something about it. See, I want you to remember today that your best will never be good enough. But Jesus' best has already paid the price for us. And we can be declared righteous because of Him. And I know this life is a struggle. I know there's difficult times that you've experienced. And I know there's difficult days ahead for all of us. I'm not being a prophet about the state of our country and that kind of garbage. I'm just saying we're all humans. And stuff's going to happen. And you're in relationships with other humans. You know what other humans do to you? They hurt you. You know what you do to other humans? You hurt them. That's what we do to each other. And that's why Paul said in verse 10 and 11, he said this. And when he talked about knowing him, he said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's sounding pretty good right now, isn't it? Knowing Jesus? Yes. Awesome. The power of resurrection? Man, I need some resurrection power facing what i got to face this week. And then look what he says next. And may share his sufferings. What, Paul? You just messed everything up with that. Can we just take that part out? to share his sufferings part. Can we just forget that and just focus on the power of the resurrection and knowing him? 
But you know why Jesus suffered? Because of sin. Not his sin. He never sinned. But he was spit on. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was cursed. And he was nailed to a cross because of my sin. And because of your sin. And guess what we still have to deal with today? Even after we're declared righteous, we still have to deal with sin. We have to deal with our own sin. We have to deal with the sin of those around us. And so we will share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection for the dead. Even though we suffer, even though we have a difficult time, we know we're going to make it. Why? Because we know him and we have the power of the resurrection in our life and we've been declared righteous by him. This is the first Sunday of New Year 2015. Probably a lot of you, you've got plans to exercise, eat better, watch less TV, brush your teeth more. I don't know what you got going on. But add to all of your stuff that you're thinking about doing this year is think about this. Trust him this year for your righteousness. Trust Jesus for your righteousness. And there may be some of you here today that, that you've been trying to work your way into heaven. And maybe you're here today because you thought, I'm going to start off the new year right and I'm going to impress God by being in church. I'm glad you're here, but you didn't impress God by being here. But you can give your life to Jesus. You can trust in Him for your righteousness. If you want to do that today, all you've got to do is tell him you trust him, that you believe him, and you know that you can't be good enough on your own. You know your best will never be good enough. And just say, Jesus, I need you to make me righteous. I trust you to make me righteous. I believe in the cross, and I trust you to make me righteous. Now, those of you who are here that are already a follower of Jesus, you've already been declared righteous, and I want you to remember that you've been declared righteous. Tomorrow when you go to work and the boss is chewing your tail, I want you to remember that you have been declared righteous. When you go to school tomorrow and you didn't do the reading you were supposed to do, what's the matter with you? Do that reading. But you didn't do the reading you were supposed to do and the teacher is looking at you and telling you you're stupid. Even if you're stupid, you've been declared righteous. You have been declared righteous and live like that this year if all of us as believers in Jesus will live this year believing and living like we've been declared righteous what a difference that would make in our community I'm going to pray for us we're going to sing another song we've got a time while we're singing that you can come and you can make a, res a, a response you can come out here and pray you can come find Donnie or find me or find Ben uh, any of us or any of people with a name tag on, you need to accept Jesus for the first time. Pull us aside and we'll stop what we're doing and talk with you. And uh, just know this year that Jesus sacrificed much for us to be able to live daily as victorious, righteous people. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for dying for us. Thank you that the cross is real, that the resurrection is real. Thank you that 
even though my best will never be good enough, your best has already paid the price. And I ask you, Father, to help me this year, help all of us as a church to remember that we've been declared righteous. And for us to live like that, for us to speak like that, for us to treat others like that, for us to spend our money like that, that everything we do, we'll trust you for our righteousness and trust you for our hope. We ask these things in Jesus' name.